voice technology has come a very long way in the last couple of years. According to Mary Meeker's annual Internet Trends report, Google's machine learning-backed voice recognition, as of May 2017, has achieved a 95% word accuracy rate for the English language. That's what the Google Assistant says, but that statistic is now two years old and we're a long way past voice-enabled devices merely understanding us. We're now into the realms of dialogue. The speed of updates and change that are coming to the platforms is so rapid that I can only see us getting more natural in the way that we talk to them. Despite the fact that for now, it's certainly in the short term, they are probably more pointed, more discreet you know, kind of questions that we ask these things. James Poulter is co-founder of Vixen Labs, a consultancy that specialises in voice strategy and marketing. Working at the intersection of voice technology and communications, he's at the forefront of driving adoption among news organisations and among marketing professionals. If you set up your flash briefing on Alexa, which essentially gives you a rundown of a bunch of different stories, it will run you through those stories. One of them may be an Alexa-generated voice reading you a set of headlines from a website. One of those results may be the voice being reading out a bunch of headlines. The next might be a full produced radio segment of news headlines from the BBC. And then the next might be a full podcast that suddenly starts playing. There's no set parameters on these things. So you know, when you or I say, get me the news what do we actually want if you are not the top headline or more, more interestingly if your story is the top headline but you want to make sure that you're going to be able to provide more context around that or that maybe as a news provider you want to provide the the reader more con- or listener in this case more context around that how are you going to do it in today's show james and i discuss the emergence of audio as a key media form for marketers and what communications people need to learn in order to take advantage of it This is Digital Download, a podcast that explores the latest thinking in digital communications, PR and social media. Here's your host, Paul Sutton. So James, what have you been doing since you left Lego about a year ago now, isn't it? Yeah, oh, it, feel, it feels like a year ago, but in reality, it's probably only about six or seven months now, really. So, okay. yeah, so I was uh, I was at Lego for three years, and I originally joined um, the business to work on um, a product called Lego Life, which is a social network that we launched in over twenty different countries, which was for kids to share their creations with one another. And then over time, uh, my role began to pivot towards more emerging technology beyond just social, and so I began to work on things like Alexa skills. We launched our first skills for Alexa. And for Amazon, one was called Lego Duplo Stories, which we launched there, which was an interactive play skill for uh, younger kids and their parents. Um, we also did some things like custom alarm clock noises, so you could wake up with a Ninjago character or uh, <laughs> one of the Lego Friends girls um, if you have a Google Home device by just saying, hey, Google, set a Lego alarm, which you can still do. Right. So doing a number of those projects in, in voice at Lego, I, I really kind of got connected into this community. We grew a community, which is now kind of the leading uh, voice community, I suppose, in Europe called Voice2. And then when I began to see that there was a real uptake towards the end of last year in people wanting to do this beyond just what I was doing at Lego, but many more brands coming on stream, I thought, 
thought this is an opportunity that can't really be left alone. And, and several people came to me and said, are you going to do something in voice? Are you going to um, you know, start an agency? Or are you going to you know, do a startup or something like that? And what we actually ended up doing is a kind of hybrid of the two. So myself and my co-founder, Jen Heap, who uh, comes from a, a very um, established agency background herself, uh, working at Unit 9 and AKQA and places like that, um, she had been working on a number of voice projects as well. And we both you know, found one another through the Voice 2 community and decided to put together what we've now uh, launched as Vixen Labs, which is a consultancy and design studio for, for voice first technologies or voice first is what we kind of tend to refer to where we mean that you know, you're using voice as the primary input or interface uh, for the experience. And yeah. for many of those things, that's on smart speakers, um, which is what many people you know kind of really understand as voice at the moment, uh, but extends far beyond that, not just smart speakers, but also voice in terms of using voice to manage content on, for example, a website or an app or in enterprise uh, as well. So we're doing consulting on that area, helping clients navigate this whole new field. And then we're also design studio building both our own experiences as Vixen Labs, sometimes in partnership with our other client partners uh, and sometimes licensing those products as well. So it's that kind of blend, I suppose. And yes, we started up officially in December, although had really been running at it since around about October last year. Um, and have been very fortunate to have began to work on some really great work with people like the BBC, Diageo and Lego, um, even since I left Lego. So yeah, it's been a really exciting start to the year. It sounds fantastic. And it's such a growing area. I mean, it's one that I've been pushing for for a, quite a long time now is saying, to me, it's one of the biggest technological trends in terms of communications and, and what's happening there probably in the last year or so it is and i i think that we see two things happening there's the the tech side of it which is the adoption of these smart speakers yeah um, in particular the echo devices and the google home devices i'm trying very carefully not to use the a word um, as I've got several um, <laughs> got several Alexa devices in the room with me, which will spark up every time I do this. I should have probably muted them before we started. But um, you know, with the uptake of these devices, this is the fastest adoption of any consumer technology on the planet ever. Yep. You know, they're in more homes now than any other type of device class that's happened in that same time period. So you know, we're now looking at the most recent data suggesting that it's around about a quarter of homes in the UK already have a smart speaker mm-hmm. heading very quickly in the direction of a third. And I think by the time that we go through one more Black Friday and you know, Cyber Monday cycle um, in this 2019 you know, holiday season, we'll probably be getting closer to half of households in the UK, which is just a phenomenally speedy rate of adoption, driven mostly because these things are cheap, they're easy to understand, they're very easy to use, and they're you know, very broadly accessible to, to people. And so we're seeing that that trend is coupled with um, something else, which is quite fascinating, which is the rise and rise of podcasts and, and other audio formats like yep. the one that we're doing now and you know every time i'm out talking at events um and i'm sure this will be the case when we, we speak at um you know kind of your event in a couple of weeks time as well is that i put your hand up if you are listening to more podcasts now than you were doing 24 months ago yep. and all of the hands in the room shoot up mm-hmm. and it's it's coupled with this um adoption of smart speakers so we see both a voice revolution happening but also an audio revolution more generally that people are listening to more content that they're using their voice to access that content and in particular they're doing it on smart speakers yeah and and do you have much data about what people are using smart speakers for at the moment because i mean you're right the the adoption of these things is incredible it's not just the number of households once people have one then from talking to people they seem to get another and maybe even a third and i'm a good example of this We, we only got our first smart speaker in maybe october november time but that was quickly followed by 
a second. So we now have one upstairs and one downstairs. And that seems to be fairly common as well. That's right. I mean, do you know what people are using these things for? Yeah, we do. I mean, there's obviously early data and predominantly it's coming from third parties who are doing this research. But to your example there, we see that most people who buy a smart speaker, most of them say that around about 60 to 70% of the cases say that they are looking forward to buying another one in the next 12 months. Yep. And when they are using these things, um, the biggest form of, of usage is still very much around entertainment, as you would imagine, yep. listening to streaming music, getting the news, listening to podcasts and audiobooks. But then the next section is information gathering. So, you know, according to data from our, our partners uh, from Vixen at Delineate, showed that in the UK, 75% of people use these devices very regularly for entertainment, 71% use them very regularly for information. Okay. Um, and so that might be everything from gathering, you know, kind of simple facts and stats to, you know, what's on TV tonight to, you know, how much should, uh, does this weigh in kilograms versus, you know, kind of um, pounds and ounces, all the these types of different information gathering sources but a large part of that is kind of what we would call invocations which is the the thing that you use to light up a smart speaker the thing that you say to it yep. that is really about information gathering so it is you know i've got a question give me an answer and that is the bit one of the biggest use cases for these things and that's where we see a really huge opportunity for brands to you know begin to insert themselves into some of these answers through optimizing their content for voice and then also creating more rich content that is voice first voice specific yep. beyond just optimizing their existing data that is being pulled through from a search result so we see a massive shift towards people using their voice for search there's a stat that's often banned around which i think comes from a com score report that said that by 2020 50 percent of all searches are going to be done by yeah. voice i'm personally skeptical of that number but the, tr the trend and the trajectory of people saying yes i'm going to use voice to search is definitely on the rise and i think that's qualified by what we see from coming from the device manufacturers even to the extent of Apple just updating the AirPods a couple of weeks ago to use Hey Siri to be able to actually launch their virtual assistant from the earphone without touching yeah. it. And so people beginning to use the voice assistant out and about as well is, is a big shift. Uh, and that, that's where actually one of the major opportunity spaces we see uh, emerging is that it's not just about voice in the home where a smart speaker might be, but it's actually on the move through the mobile, through the car and all of these other platforms that um, these, these smart assistants and digital assistants are, are going to be present. Yeah, the, the whole thing about the automotive use is I find really quite interesting because I know the likes of the, the BMWs and the Audis now build in smart functionality. It's only a matter of time before that is in all cars effectively. So we're going to be talking to our cars more and more, you know? Yeah, it's not just about the built-in functionality as well. I mean, um, Amazon reported that they pre-sold uh, a million uh, Alexa auto devices in the US before launch of the, of the device at the end of last year. And if that's anything to go by, coupled also with, obviously, as you mentioned, many device manufacturers, Volkswagen, BMW, Nissan, all beginning to look at putting um, a choice of different smart assistant in the car, whether that's Android Auto, whether that is CarPlay so that you can access Siri and things like that, or actually you know, Alexa as a default. Um, we're seeing that 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 adoption of the the car as another plane where you can you know obviously your hands and eyes are occupied but your voice and your ears are absolutely not, um, begins to be another op opportunity to kind of create content and that gets really interesting when you think about these multi-modal devices right so devices where there's a screen input as well as also maybe a voice yep. input um, or some kind of kinetic action so you know unlock my doors or um, you know kind of lock the house or uh, you know start the microwave these types of things that you know, can be triggered through my 
IoT uh, on voice, because then you begin to actually have a truly kind of helpful digital ecosystem that follows mm-hmm. you around. So you know, when you're in the car on the way home, being able to ask Alexa whether or not you've got anything in your smart fridge um, that can you know, use cameras to detect whether or not you've got eggs and then update your route on the way home to make sure you go past the grocery store. You know, these types of you know, daily use cases for these little things that we often take for granted can begin to be augmented all through the ability for not just voice as an input, but really the big thing about natural language understanding and being able to take those questions that you ask in real language and real words and pass those and give you an intelligent answer back. That is the golden thing that these things will rely upon. But that context awareness is is a huge advantage if you can begin to use the same assistant to access different types of content in different locations as well. Yeah. And do you think the nature of the queries we either are asking at the moment or are going to ask of uh, voice recognition systems are going to change? Because like you say, at the moment, we are getting information from these things. I do it. We ask questions. My kids do it all the time. But they're very sort of simplistic questions. Do you think we will get to a stage in the near future where we're asking more complex questions? Or is that is that a step too far for the use of these devices? No, I think you're right to highlight it, is that you know, right now most of our uses of these devices are fairly point and click, right? Yes, yeah. <laughs> um, they're very um, much like a command line that we're giving with our voice and then getting a response back. It's not actually that conversational in many cases. What we're beginning to see now, though, is that some of those opportunities to create more of a dialogue with these devices is opening up. If you have a Google Home device, you can now open uh, a mode called continuing conversation yes. where the speaker will continue to listen to you for a couple of seconds after you've um, it's given in Europe's response mm-hmm. so that if you want to send a follow-up response it can then carry on the conversation and that begins to open up the um i suppose the linguistic programming that we all need to have a, a you know actual conversation with these devices as opposed to just you know barking commands at them which is kind of probably more realistic um at the moment and certainly if you've got kids in the house that use these things you know that that's exactly the way that they use them yeah it presents an interesting case obviously about what we want to teach our kids on how to have these conversations with these devices and i think that the speed of of updates and change that are coming to the platforms is so rapid that I can only see us getting more natural in the way that we talk to them. Mm-hmm. Despite the fact that for now, it's certainly in the short term, they are probably more pointed, more discreet, you know, kind of questions that we ask these things, more fact-based, what is this, why is this, how is this, rather than having a more dialogue conversation with with these devices. But we certainly see that beginning to change. And I think if you look at some of the examples like Google Duplex, which was yeah. announced with some unfair last year, for those if you're not familiar with that that was the example that google demonstrated at google io their big developer preview event last year of the google assistant being able to book a restaurant for example on behalf of a user all through an artificial voice Mm -hmm. now that if you watch that demo video has a really conversational approach to it it has all of the kind of lilts and pauses and intonation changes of a human voice that you might expect from having a conversation with uh, with someone's pa who was booking their you know restaurant for them and when you begin to get to those experiences then that presents you know a much um, different paradigm of interacting with technology and interacting with you know computing and and you know obviously the brands that sit behind those things um in the future and it presents some interesting challenges for the marketeer as well and the communications professional because we begin to have to think about not just writing our carefully canned well-lined you know kind of <laughs> to actually writing for real conversations which i think
think social for the past decade has given us a really big challenge on how to how do you inhabit the tone of a brand in real conversation when you're commenting or liking stuff and you know participating engaging with with consumers on social media platforms we've had to get better at writing in that way and not just copying and pasting from some you know kind of awful excel spreadsheet of you know canned responses to different queries um, and we've seen some really great examples of that almost stagecraft really being developed over the past um, you know 10 years of, of social media engagement but for voice this is you know having to anticipate in real time and ahead of time all different sorts of conversations that your brand may want to have with a consumer and mm. writing really well for that so we're seeing a lot of the people that are building these early experiences and some of the people that we work with when we're uh, designing experiences here at vixen um will often work with things like voice actors with improvisation teams from com- comedy troops to you know voice actors who've done all sorts of improv um voice work before to actually write some of this content okay uh, because they're, they're used to kind of speaking in that natural yeah. way and thinking these things through so we'll often do a lot of role play for example when we're building these experiences of well actually how would you know if you were saying this thing to a device in your home if you were asking for you know how much cheese do i need to put into a you know, kind of spaghetti carbonara yeah. how would you actually ask that question um would you be very specific and make sure you hit all of those points or would you say the name of the cheese would you say uh, what ingredients do i need to make a spaghetti carbonara mm-hmm. all these different permutations right that's just one example of a non-branded um you know, kind of case study and so that will present interesting brand challenges i think for our for our marketing and comms you know friends who've got to think these things through and often are the ones who are closest to the way in which the brand is supposed to sound but that sound is often in the written form it's not always in the audio form um and so that is a whole new set of guidelines and plans and scripts and content that we need to begin to think about if you're a regular listener to the podcast or even if you're not Digital Download Live takes place in May this year in London. This is the third year it'll be run, and it's going to be a fantastic day of presentations, audience-led Q&As, and interactive workshops. Digital Download Live is not one of those conferences where you go and sit passively in a huge auditorium listening to people talk for six hours. You'll meet like-minded individuals, you'll discuss ideas and opinions, and you'll get your hands dirty in highly practical sessions. This year, we're covering topics including the conflict between technology and humanity in marketing, voice marketing through smart speakers, authority link building, AI tools for communications people, paid social media, Instagram creativity, and brand transparency. For more information and booking details, go to ddl19.co.uk. That's ddl19.co.uk. I hope to see you there. This is my experience. We we have a, a Google Home and an Alexa in our house. I vastly, vastly prefer the Google device because I think it understands the context of questions a lot, lot better on Alexa than in my experience. I mean, the duplex thing that that you flag is is just it blows my mind every single time I watch it. But do you think from your experience of working these devices quite a lot now? Is there a big difference in in the contextual way that Google and Amazon and Apple, the devices understand natural language? I mean, the actual natural language processing that sits underneath them is is 
broadly similar because it's about understanding language and there is you know only a set that language has a set of rules to understand and interpret and then yeah, yeah. Can challenge i think the thing that you're highlighting though which is interesting is the difference between how the platforms then choose to respond with the data the insight the, you know and the, the knowledge graphs that they they have google has obviously built its its entire system up from you know many decades now of search data and understanding how people ask yes. questions often though with a, a desire to search for and discover data or information whereas amazon is coming from a very different perspective where that the alexa system has been built up around shopping use cases content use cases and entertainment use cases and then siri very differently has obviously been built around actually a very much more privacy focused um, approach where a lot of the um you know the work that goes on when you're you know speaking to uh, siri certainly on your iphone or ipad is really based around what's on your device rather than necessarily pulling down um data from the cloud that's beginning to open up and that we've also seen Apple making a number of um, acquisitions in this space, and uh, most notably a company called Pullstring in the US that was famous for designing interactive toy experiences and then la- later Alexa skills. So we begin to think that they will probably bolster their offering. But you know, these three different companies, these three big players behind them, the, the major services have come from this approach very, very differently. You could even throw in the likes of Samsung, which obviously have a much more IoT and device management um, you know, kind of background in, in this. Um, so if you're using Bixby, you know, the experiences using Bixby to control other Samsung devices in your home is actually very, very good, but maybe using it for these other um, types of questions and queries is, is not so fantastic. Whereas Amazon really excel in that IoT ecosystem and managing all of your smart lights and smart bulbs and stuff like that around the home, whereas Google actually aren't that great at doing that because they have fundamentally different ways of yeah, managing yeah. this technology. So I think you will see differences between the different platforms. And often people ask me, you know, which is better, one or the other? And I don't, well, I, the, the answer is there isn't a better one. It's what's better for you. Yeah, it depends what you're using it for. Absolutely. So I think we see that there is a, a difference there. But more interestingly, I suppose, and certainly for your audience and, and those listening, is that you know, the question will be, well, what should I be doing on these platforms? And, and what are the differences between them? And there are quite stark differences, actually, in terms of the way in which you create content for them. Google obviously still is, and the assistant overall is built on a lot of the existing technology from Google search. And so you know, making sure that content is discoverable on the Google platform has a lot to do with what you're doing on search in more general terms. Mm-hmm. Whereas Amazon, you know, is much more built around you know finding answers to questions comes either from things like Wikipedia or coming from the default answers that Amazon has already pre-programmed at the base level into the Alexa firmware. Or in the majority of cases, it's really around skills, which is the word that Amazon uses essentially for apps that w- you are building on top of the Alexa platform. And what's been quite an interesting development in that in the most recent months is something called implicit invocations, which is that if you ask Alexa a question that potentially could be answered by a skill that someone has made you can program those skills now to answer certain questions so for example if i was to ask alexa you know how is um talisker whiskey made alexa might now know that our skill that we built for talisker for their talisker tasting whiskey experience can answer that question uh-huh. and so therefore would recommend that you talk to the talisker skill to answer that question um, whereas if that didn't exist then you may just get a kind of generic answer that's been pulled from wikipedia or some other source yeah so there's beginning to be opportunities now to create new ways of being able to answer some of these more nuanced um more detailed questions but then 
with that presents the challenge of making sure that you're creating as many answers to these questions as you can and that's a you know at the moment a very structured i suppose concrete way of doing things it's not as open and interpretive as the web is currently it's much more canned in that sense so that presents a you know kind of a different design challenge for for brands and communicators as well yeah so looking at things from specifically a communications perspective then so my understanding really is that there are two areas two broad areas anyway that communications people need to start getting their head around the first is search and how you make your brand or your company discoverable through a a voice search and the second is the way that news is now being discovered or will be discovered in future again through smart speakers and, and mobile and very kind of short form little snippets of news do you want to expand a bit on both of those yeah, well, maybe I'll tackle the the, the news one first because I think yeah. that this is probably the most interesting area for many of you that, have, if you're listening, have worked in kind of PR backgrounds um, or in communications in in some form or just content marketing in, in more general terms. Is that when we use these devices, as I mentioned earlier on, like music is the thing that most people use these devices for. It's the thing that is the use case that's been demonstrated to users through advertising over and over again, and we understand how to navigate music on these platforms because we have a general understanding of the paradigm of online music and music streaming right you understand playlists you understand albums and artists and genres and moods but when it comes to other categories of information or data that aren't you know something as discrete as music like news for example we try and bring in our existing lexicon of terminology that goes along with news right so news providers like the titles we all know the ft the telegraph or you know whoever it might be that you read yeah and then we kind of go down a layer and it's okay well we understand the concept of stories and we understand the concept of things like headlines and maybe comment pieces but the architecture and the way in which these platforms have been built hasn't necessarily brought all of those nuances into the platforms for example today if you set up your flash briefing on alexa which essentially gives you a rundown of a bunch of different stories essentially that you've pre-chosen from a series of different uh, providers usually upon setup of the device mm-hmm. it will run you through those stories now interestingly the way that the flash briefings work is you can kind of put anything in them they could be one one of them maybe an alexa generated voice reading you a set of headlines from a website one of those results may be the voice being reading out a bunch of headlines the next might be a full produced radio segment of news headlines from the bbc and then the next might be a full podcast that suddenly starts playing there's no set parameters on these things so you know when you or i say get me the news what do we actually want do we want the head lines do we want a set of stories do we want a a playlist of podcasts etc and then there's the concept of well once you've started listening to something on an interactive platform as opposed to listening to the radio for example if you or i know that we turn on radio four at the top of the hour most of the day you're going to get a news bulletin that lasts a few minutes and it ends yeah and it follows a standardized format right you hear the headlines that are coming up then you get those stories in slightly more detail one or two of those will probably have an interview or something built into them and then a wrap up with the news weather and travel at the end and on you go with your day that isn't the way that these platforms work particularly if i have the opportunity to interrupt that platform that's reading me those headlines for example and say well give me more on that story 
right now there's no way of going into more on that story unless it's been a whole skill that's been coded to do that right so our understanding of how to navigate for example even like a, say an I, i'm sat here with a, the ipad version of, of the guardian for example in front of me on my ipad and you know i can scroll through the front page of that and i see section headers i'm gonna you know, click on financial for example i'm now presented with a whole run of stories i know that i can click on one of those stories i'm gonna get more on that story as i scroll down i might see previous next or related stories and i can click on those and move around yeah and that's all drawing from the paradigm of a, a print newspaper translated into a digital newspaper but what happens when you want the whole newspaper and there's no visual to work with at all yeah, how yeah. do you navigate all of that and th- this is that kind of new paradigm of how to kind of move around these experiences and get the content we want from them that is still fairly early and fairly nascent and that presents an interesting challenge because if you are not the top headline or more, more interestingly if your story is the top headline but you want to make sure that you're going to be able to provide more context around that or that maybe as a news provider you want to provide the the um the reader more con- or listener in this case more context around that how are you going to do it yep. and so these are the, the challenges that we're beginning to see presented so in you know a lot of our discussions with our clients that are news providers or work in news or have um you know kind of content platforms it's exactly this that we're working through with them now and the strategy of well actually what preference do you give to certain headlines what to sections to more content to navigating all of these things and we probably need to find a kind of new way of talking about them and a new paradigm of how they are managed um, that we don't currently have to date so i think that's a, a really interesting um, challenge and, and prospect for us to all begin to work through and the people that will set this you know agenda will be those news platforms providers and brands that work with them to produce these first experiences because once we've begun to teach users how how to navigate this stuff, then I think we'll see a much greater uh, value placed on it and therefore a future uh, adoption of it as well. And do you think there is a role for the PR person, the communicator, whoever's doing that side of it in this? Or is that role more to do with the media who are effectively going to get that that news out into the world? Well, I think there's there's a couple of different sides to this. And I, I point back to my earlier point about the two revolutions that are happening simultaneously. One, as I mentioned before, is the you know, kind of the smart speaker revolution. And for communicators looking to kind of get stories and headlines made, you know, there's a discoverability question there. But the second is the audio revolution. And so I would challenge you know, those listening who have maybe thought for a long time about, okay, well, when we're going out on scene or on set, maybe we're doing some experiential piece, maybe we've got someone available for interview, all those kind of things. They're quite well placed for setting up a phone interview or maybe you know sending someone out and doing, or maybe doing a video yep. piece. But maybe you need to tap back into your days of old of doing you know, kind of radio days and things mm-hmm. like that and you know, prepping people for radio interviews and things or getting used to producing your own audio and producing your own podcast because there is a way of you know kind of making yourself known on these platforms, which is having audio content. Yeah. Um, and having audio content and your own branded audio content and branded content experiences, whether that's a podcast, whether that's a flash briefing, whether that's providing audio to existing platforms as well. So working with podcasters and podcast advertising segments and things like that. All of these different ways now that we can get our stories out into the world through audio only platforms is is a big challenge. And I think that many those, particularly those who have come up the ranks working in PR and comms over the past decade, have predominantly had their attention majorly focused on social 
social media um, and obviously also the traditional news outlets and probably haven't spent certainly my experience of working in agencies uh, for you know 10 years before I went into work at Lego was we didn't really do an awful lot with the radio stations to be honest outside of you know if we had hard factual news we would obviously pay attention to the BBC and you know maybe doing you know kind of the rounds with Sky or someone like that to make sure that it showed up on you know, major bulletins but most of our attention was not there and certainly my clients attention wasn't there but I think that that is having to change and thinking about things like audio podcasting radio and other podcasters out there as well that is a set of weapons that you need to now have in your arsenal as a communicator because it's no longer acceptable to just kind of assume that podcasts aren't going to be talking about you of course they yeah. are it's one of the you know kind of most fast being consumed uh, media formats that we have so I think if you're not paying attention there that's something to certainly be you know, thinking about getting skilled up yeah in. absolutely and it opens up a whole uh, other questions about monitoring and identifying where you are being talked about on all sorts of stuff but i'm going to leave it there today because so you come along to digital download live on the 16th of may I am. and for those who have booked tickets you'll be able to ask questions of james james is going to talk about some of the stuff we talked about today leading on the con side of it you'll be able to ask james you know all your own questions on this so if you haven't booked a ticket yet there are still a few left. They are, they are going quite quickly, but you still have a chance. Like I say, it's the 16th of May. Looking forward to seeing you there, James. It's going to be a really interesting session. I'm really looking forward to this. Yeah, no, I'm looking forward to it as well. Can I maybe do a quick plug as well that people want to kind of get more involved in, in this conversation between now and then? I mentioned earlier on we have this voice to community which is for people that are interested in this space and we'd love more people from the comms and marketing world to kind of get involved and and come and share their opinions so if that's of interest to you you can sign up to to get the newsletter and also to come along to the meetups and um, which we've got one at amazon hq in a couple of weeks time as well as also um, our whatsapp community which is fairly active um, and you can do all of that at voice the number two so that's voice number two dot io um, and you can sign up for all that there. And I'm sure Paul will link it somewhere, I expect. Yeah, absolutely. We'll put it a link in the show notes. Thank you so much for today. Really appreciate it. And um, see you in a couple of weeks. See you soon. You can subscribe to Digital Download on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or wherever else you get your podcasts. And if you've got any ideas for future topics you'd like to see covered or people you'd like to hear from, contact me on Twitter where I'm at the Paul Sutton. Thank you for listening.